Well, good morning. This week we're starting a new series, Making the Most of Every Opportunity. We're going to do like a hopscotch through the letter to, uh, in, in Ephesians as we explore every relationship we have has an opportunity, an opportunity to, to make life better and, and an opportunity to make a difference in, in our life and other people's lives. And so I really hope that you join us every week through this series and that you identify, you're praying for your one, that person you're going to share your story, your hope with, and that you'll find the opportunity to invite them to join you, whether it's on campus or online in some way, they'll join you. Next week, we're going to have our friend Russell Johnson back with us talking about encouragement and how we can live lives of encouragement. And then after that, we'll jump back into some opportunities of, and the relationships we deal with in the church, in our family, and within the world. And I really hope that you join us over the next few weeks. But today, we're going to pause and just talk for a little bit about our relationship with Jesus and what that means, how we can make the most in this relationship. You know, my father-in-law worked for the oil company. And for a few years, he lived in Tokyo, Japan. And while he was there, he enjoyed bike riding. And this one particular day, he was out bike riding through the streets of Tokyo and in his normal bicycle garb uh, from head to toe. And while he was out bicycling around, he came across a crowd. And he was wondering what that crowd was. So he went up to the crowd to see what all the festivities were. And before he knew it, he found himself on well, at that time, the most popular Japanese game show. It was hilarious. Unfortunately, it's not on anymore. But what they're doing this particular day, they went around to different parts of Japan and they would put people to test, make challenges. And this particular day, the contestants were being challenged, find the biggest person that you can and challenge them to a tug of war. And so they're watching the video, they're scanning the crowd and there is my father-in-law standing above everybody else in his bicycle garb. And he called him out, oh, Roy-san, come here, Roy-san. Well, they first had to get to know his name. They brought him over, and he didn't know Japanese, and so he had no idea what they were saying. He had no idea what he was getting himself into, and they gave him the rope, and they just told him to pull. And he pulled, and right away, he won the tug-of-war battle. And for the next couple of days, as he walked the streets of Tokyo, everybody knew who Roy-san was. Like, oh, you're the tug-of-war champion. It was amazing. You know, but in life, life is really like a tug-of-war match, isn't it? You know, every day of our lives, it seems like we're in a tug-of-war battle because we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that's broken, and a lot of times it's broken because of our own choices. And we have a craving in this fallen world. We have a craving to, that's lured to our own choices, the choices within our own hearts that pull us away from what God desires. You know what the Bible calls that? Our flesh. Our flesh are the cravings within our own heart that pulls us away from the desires of God. And our flesh is in a constant tug-of-war battle with our spiritual selves. Our spiritual selves is the desire or the longing to have God in our life and to walk with God. You see, in the beginning of time, God created us. And when he created us, he created us physical and spiritual. It was the ultimate blending of the two. And in that perfect society of the Garden of Eden, everything was there. And the perfect blend was there, the physical and the spiritual. But yet what happened, you know the story. Adam and Eve, they ate from the tree. They ate that little juicy apple. They brought sin into the world, and this world fell apart. And it caused that great divide between us and with God. And our spiritual selves still has that craving, that longing 
to grow with God, to know God more, to walk with him. The Bible calls that being renewed. We have a constant desire to be renewed, yet so often we're so broken because we're in this tug-of-war battle. You know, the, the normal desires of our own hearts, the cravings of our own hearts, is constantly trying to pull ourselves away from God. We have a tendency, we desire the blessings that God gives, but we want them on our own terms. We want life our own way. And because of that, we suffer with so many consequences of our own, of our own doing. But can I just tell you something right out of the gates? We are God's masterpiece. I want you to know this right away, that you are God's masterpiece. One of the most amazing verses in the letter Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus that we know is Ephesians. In, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, the apostle Paul penned these words. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know the most... The most important word in that verse, in the English, it's handiwork. Some of your verses may say workmanship. If you have the version Bible, I encourage you to highlight that verse. If you are using the old paper Bible, I encourage you to underline that verse and, and circle around it. The Greek word that's used there, that the word that the English identifies as handiwork or workmanship, is poema. Poema is where we get the, Greek, the, the English word poem. Or poetry. And you know what that means? What the word actually means? Something made. In this context, it is something God has made. And as a new creation, you are his masterpiece, skillfully and artfully made, created in Jesus. You know, have you ever thought about that? Think about this. You are God's divine poetry. Do you ever think about that? In Christ, you're his work of art. You're his poem that he's writing out for the world to see. And as followers of Jesus, each of our lives is a canvas for the master designer who's producing a work of art that will fill throughout the ages, reveal his presence through you. You are his divine poetry revealed in this world. You are his work of art. Some of us old school people maybe remember back in the day the TV painter Bob Ross. You guys remember Bob Ross? I mean, when you had a bad day, you just had to turn on Bob Ross because it was just uh, inevitable that he would kind of like build your spirit up, right? And, and that's what he would do because of all his quacky but crazy but uplifting quotes. I mean, one of his famous quotes was, we don't make mistakes, just happy accidents, right? Another quote of his was, I don't always paint trees, but when I do, they're happy. One of my, another favorite quote of his that really stuck to me is, I can't think of anything more rewarding than being able to express yourself to others through painting. You know, it really made me think of this verse and of this word. We, you, are an expression of God in this world. You are. You are his divine poetry. You are an expression of his goodness, his love, his faithfulness in this world. And because of that, you have tremendous value. You are valued. 
So often we look in the mirror and we, we devalue ourselves. We don't think we're good enough. We don't think we add ourselves up enough. Maybe because our own poor choices and the consequences we're dealing with, we beat ourselves down. But do you understand what it means to be God's handiwork? His workmanship, his art. Art is beautiful. It is valuable. It's an expression of the inner working of the maker and of the creator, of the designer. Just imagine what that means. You are beautiful. You are valuable. You are an expression of the master designer himself. You are. You are divine poetry. You see, when God gave himself up on the cross, he wasn't up there just saying, boy, I'm, I'm dying just so that you know I love you. You know, when he died on the cross, you know what he was really saying? I'm dying. I am bleeding out for you so that I can recreate you into something special. So that I can recreate you into something beautiful. Because we live in a fallen world and because of what happened in the garden, sin pulled you away from me. You guys have been beaten down by the tug of war that you've been pulling towards your own desires of your own heart. And it's been beating you down. But I want to recreate you into something magnificent. Something beautiful. I'm the artist, Jesus said, and you're the art. You know, you may not feel like it. You may feel like you're beaten down in the pit of despair and you're wondering how anybody could see any value in you. You may be wondering, how can Jesus even see me? But boy, does he see you. Oh my, does Jesus see you. You are his crowning achievement. You are. And some will say, Bill, I'm just not good enough. I just need to get my life back in order before I can really understand that, before I can really engage that. And that's just not true. Let me tell you this. Please understand this. God chose you. And you know what he wants more than anything else? It's for you to choose him. Do you ever have that moment when someone chose you? Maybe it was when you were a younger kid and you were on the playground in elementary and it was just that moment when finally you got picked to be on the team. And that inner feeling that you had when you were chosen, when someone saw you, when someone noticed you, when someone recognized you, when someone valued you. You know, and sometimes I feel that many, for many of us kind of walk through the world, it seems so busy and it's crowded and there's people all around us, yet we feel so alone. We feel so beat down. Maybe sometimes when we walk through the halls of our own church, we feel like we're in a crowded space, but does anybody really see me? Does anybody really recognize me? Does anybody even value me? You know what God says? He says, I see you. I notice you. I recognize you. I value you, and I choose you. You. Are God's masterpiece. You are his divine poetry. You are. We all are. Paul writes in the chapter 1 of Ephesians in verse 4, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in sight. Do you see that? Before everything was created, before everything existed, God knew you. He knew you. He knew your story. Don't miss this biblical truth. Before you existed, he knew you and he chose you. 
And you see what he chose you for? To be holy. He chose you to be holy. Now, people may read that verse and think, Bill, that, that, I, I, I equate that with perfection, and I just am not perfect. I can't be perfect. I make so many stupid choices. I can't be that person. And please, don't misalign what this verse is saying with perfection. That's not what it's saying, because none of us is perfect. There's only one perfect person. His name was Jesus. That's not what this verse is saying. You know what it means to be holy? You see, in God's very nature, he is holy. And so because of our sin, because of our own shortcomings, because of our own tug of war pulling away from the heart of God, God, we cannot be in his presence. But he wanted to open up the doors for another opportunity. And so he wanted to provide us a, a way to be in connection with him. So in this word, the heart of this verse, to be holy, the reality of this is to be in a relationship with him. Because holiness ultimately is to be in connection with Jesus. That's what he's striving here. Ultimately, he chose us to be in a relationship with him. To experience his goodness, his love, his grace, to be in his presence. And Paul wrote that he chose us before the creation of the world. Now, now don't lose me here because you got to understand this. What the Bible describes here is God's foreknowledge. You see, God's foreknowledge is his ability to see What's going, on, what's going to happen? God already knows the end of the story. God already knows what you're going to choose. God knows your story, how it's going to play out. That's his foreknowledge. That gives him the ability to write Revelation or other prophecies that you read throughout the, throughout the, the, the Bible because he knows how it's, going to have, how it's going to happen. You see, within God's nature, he is all-powerful, which means he has no physical limitations, God is all present, which means he's all places at all times. He's with us right now. He's with the believers over in Africa and in Asia and other parts of the world in this very moment. He is all places at all times, and God is all-knowing. This means that he understands. He knows all things past, present, and future. This is his ability to know how the story plays out. And through his greatness, through his greatness, his number one desire is you and me. His divine poetry, his work of art, that's his greatest desire. And so that is why in this whole tug of war that we're in, this whole battle, he provided a second chance because he knew the cravings of our heart. He knew how we're going to be lured to do to make bad choices that pulls us away from God, that just kind of pulls the rope this way as he's trying to lure us back that way. And before you know it, because of our sin, there's this great divide that separates us between us and God. And God says, no, I, there needs to be a way. So he provides the cross to give us a bridge to go back towards him. Paul writes this in Ephesians 1 verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. You see, God chose us. And his greatest desire is for us to choose him. Through his blood, through his forgiveness, he gives us the opportunity to experience life. Life more abundantly. Yet we still are in this tug of war, aren't we? 
I know there's people here who have given their lives to Jesus, but you're trying to live life your own way. You're trying to have Jesus give you all the blessings of what he provides that you want it on your own terms. You want to live life your own way, and you're trying to tug him that way. And in so doing, what tends to happen is we are walking like dead men. We are like zombies walking this world, and, and we wonder why what we're experiencing is just so often beating us down, and it's poor consequences. Well, why is that? Because we're walking in death is what the Bible describes and we're missing out on the opportunity of his life. So if I can encourage you in one thing today, it's stop walking in death and walk in life. Truly walk in life. You see, in its most basic sense, you know what death is? Death is a separation. That's what it basically means. Physically, what physical death is, is that it's that separation between our physical body and our spiritual selves. One day we will all face this. We will all experience physical death where our physical bodies are separated from our physical selves. The Bible speaks of death, which is spiritual death. This death is the separation between God and our spiritual selves for all eternity. This is what we do not have to face. We don't have to face spiritual death. We can experience life more abundantly that that God provides. But yet while we still have physical life, we can experience that life or sometimes we experience physical or the spiritual death. Because in this moment, we can begin to experience what eternal life provides, either the death or the life. And it's all based upon where we're at in this tug-of-war battle. What's our focus? And sadly, too many times we walk around like zombies, like dead men. You know, when I was in college, I'm just going to be honest with you, I was not an early riser. I did not like those 8 a.m. classes. And I, I always wondered why in the world would a school do such a horrible thing to students and make them wake up for an 8 a.m. class. It just did not get, to, get don't, was not making right with me. And I had this 8 a.m. class and it was, it was biblical history. And it was in this big room with a bunch of students. And just to kind of feel you, when you go to a small school, which I did, you get to know the professors a lot better and you get to have relationships with them. And the professor at this time, his name was Rick. And, and Rick... You know, at this, he was, this was like his first year to be a professor at the school, and he had this one student in this class that he did not know who it was that kept leaving him nasty notes about how awful he was, how horrible of a, of a professor he was, and all this and that. And, and it was just really kind of beating him down, and he was trying to figure out, who is this student? And so he fi- this one morning, he, fi- he finally said, okay, I'm just going to stay. I want to get there early, and I want to watch every student walk into the room and see if I can identify who that is. And then here comes Bill. 8 a.m. zombie Bill. Walking into class. I was tired. I didn't want to be there because I just would rather be in bed. And I sat down. I'm just sitting there like with a stare into the wall like, somebody wake me up soon. And Rick, he was looking around the room, and he saw me. He could... He said in his mind, that's the guy. That's the student. That's who, I can't believe it. It's Bill. Man. And so for the next couple of weeks, he had this in his mind that I was writing him all these evil notes and things like that. I, it wasn't me, I promise. And later on, he found out. And we're friends now and we laugh about it. But so often, I think physically and spiritually, we're like that. We leave, we send off these weird expressions to the world. When we should be walking in life, we walk in death. And the world sees us and like, boy, what's up with you? 
I thought there should be something different with you. I mean, you, you claim Jesus is real, but you, you seem like you walk around like a zombie when you should be walking in life. What are you walking in? You know, the, the Apostle Paul, when he, in his letter to Ephesians, into the church in Ephesus in chapter 2, he wrote these words beginning in verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the world, ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us who lived among them are at one, a lot, among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of, the, of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Do you see that? Paul said you were dead in your transgressions. In other words, you were dead in your own offenses, your own poor choices that are opposite the heart of God. And because of your choices that you've made, because of the lifestyles that you once lived, you walked around as dead men. And in those times, do you see what Paul wrote? We gratified the cravings of our flesh. That's the tug of war battle. That's the tug of war we're in. We try to gratify our own desires. We try to get Jesus to give us his blessings yet on our, turn, on our own terms. We try to get what he provides yet live life our own way. And we're trying to pull, win this tug of war battle to get it my way. Trying to gratify our own desires within our own hearts. And we follow the desires of our own thoughts and our minds. And oftentimes we've created the consequences we tend to face in our own life. And we're just in this constant tug of war. And sometimes the cravings of our flesh causes us to walk like zombies, experiencing those poor choices. You know, choices that just don't line up with Jesus and his heart. That cause us to miss out on his divine poetry within our own life. To experience the blessings that he has. And sometimes in our own desire to gratify our own hearts, we begin to try to justify our own desires. And in some ways, we even tried to manipulate God's word to try to match up with what we want to do or what we feel should be right. And so in so doing, we just constantly are in this tug of war, pulling God, pulling, trying to pull God towards us rather than God pulling us towards him. And then we miss the point. We just miss the point. In those moments when we're trying to gratify our own desires, our own choices, when we're trying to manipulate God's word to match with the life that we would rather have, you know what we're doing? We're trying to please ourselves rather than running towards God. In every relationship that you ever will have in your life, what makes it the the best relationship, the moments that you get the most out of that relationship is when you stop trying to make it about you, when you stop trying to gratify your own self, and you try to honor the person you've made a commitment to. That's what marriage is all about. Marriages that really struggle the most are marriages that are selfish, when the people are more focused about what's, what, how the, can they make themselves more happy in that relationship. But you know what makes marriages strong and great? Is the moment when you say, you know what? How can I honor that person more? 
How can I honor this commitment more to the person I've made this commitment to? In the same way with Jesus. You want the best out of any relationship? You want to experience the best out of any relationship? Stop being selfish. And the moment you take that, you move that step, the moment you experience so much more that that relationship could ever provide. But so often we, 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 we want to gratify our own desires and we try to pull God towards us and we just walk around like zombies. And can I just tell you something? Stop walking in death. Stop walking in death. In this life, we can already begin to experience the blessings that God has given to us. We'll either experience his blessings or we'll experience the, the destruction of our own poor choices. And as followers of Jesus, when we give our lives to him, the Bible says that he gives us our spirit, which is his seal. Look what Paul writes in Ephesians 1, verse 13 and 14. He writes, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. You see what that verse says? You see, when we give our lives to Jesus, he gives us his spirit, which is his seal. The seal is like the, the, the defining recognition, the official recognition from the king of the land that says, this is my property, and this will receive all my inheritance. And what Paul is writing here, when we give our lives to Jesus, and he gives us his spirit. It's like a back off, Satan. He's mine. He's mine. She's mine. This is my masterpiece. This is my divine poetry. And that deposit of guaranteeing our inheritance is the beginning of experiencing the life that we will gain full access to one day eternally. See, the Bible teaches us that because of his love, he made us alive even when we were dead. Even when we were dead. And Paul wrote twice in this one chapter of Ephesians 2 that by grace we are saved. By grace we are saved. You know what grace is? Grace is that second chance. Grace is that, boy, you guys have been pulling the, the tug of war trying to get me to come this way. And now because of your own poor choices, there's this great divide. And because of my holiness, you can't be in my relationship with you. But I chose you to be in that relationship with you. And I want to find a way. And so the only way is that cross. It's my son who's going to die for you. That's grace. Grace is that second chance. Grace is the opportunity to, to be in a relationship with him with the master designer in our own lives. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. God's greatest gift is grace, revealed through his son Jesus, who died on the cross so that we may experience him fully. But with every opportunity, there's a choice. With every opportunity you have in life, there is a choice. 
Remember, God chose us and his greatest desire is for us to choose him. See the second part of that verse that Paul wrote? For it is by grace we have been saved through faith. You see, my friends, faith is the path towards his grace. Faith is the response of acceptance and the commitment to God's grace. One of my favorite letters in the New Testament is a letter to James. And James is like right in your face. And he talks about faith quite a bit. And in that, in that letter, he talks about how faith without actions is dead. You see, faith is an action-oriented word, and it should drive us towards something. If it's not driving you towards a deeper relationship with Jesus, then, then there's something not clicking with our faith. Because faith is the vessel that takes us towards a deeper commitment and response to God's grace. So what is our response to God's grace? You see, I think every one of us has a decision to make today. No matter where you're at spiritually, no matter where you're at emotionally, every one of us has a decision to make in this journey. Some of you may, may need to take the step of, do you actually believe in Jesus? Maybe you've been wrestling with that for a while. Like, I don't really know where I stand, but I don't even know if I get all this stuff. I don't even know if I buy into it. You need to take that step. And if that's you and you have a lot of questions, one of us, one of the leaders of the church, myself, the elders, the staff, volunteer leaders, there's many people here that would love to help answer those questions with you, to take that journey with you of who Jesus is. But so often, we, sometimes we stop at, well, I believe, and we think that's good enough. But the, in the letter James wrote, he said, even the demons believe, which means there's got to be more to that. It can't just stop at, hey, I believe, Right? At some point, we need to confess him as Lord. And I really believe that confession comes in two parts. There's the, there, there's the spoken confession. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I accept him as my Savior. I want to give my life to him. I thank you for what you provide me, Jesus. There's that. But then there's also the lifestyle of confession. You know, my life should be a constant walking of who Jesus is, that people can see by the choices I make who I stand for. I've heard it many times from different people in my lifetime, you know, well, my faith's kind of like a private thing. Can I just be honest with you? That's not biblical at all. It's not. It's not biblical. Jesus never intended to be your secret friend. He never intended that. He intended you to be his follower that through your life, others will see you, see him through you. But you know what's, I think, the biggest struggling match with many Christians today? It's one of the other big steps is repentance. Repentance is that, that time when I'm dropping the rope. I'm going to stop trying to pull him towards me and do live life my way. I'm going to run towards him rather than him trying to pull him towards me. Repentance saying, I'm done making choices about myself. I want to turn around and walk with him. I want to honor him with my life. I want to run towards him. And when I mess up, because we know none of us is going to be perfect, and when we mess up and you still will, it means I'm going to get back up and make the next right choice and keep running towards him rather than myself. That's repentance. And it breaks my heart. I'm just being real with you guys. I think the greatest struggle in the church today Across, the, across our country are Christians 
who demanded the blessings of Jesus on their own terms, who tried to live life their own way, tried to gratify their own desires. That's not repentance. It's time for us to fully engage Jesus, to turn away from the desires of our own hearts and run towards him. How can I honor you more? Another response of his grace and a way to engage him is through baptism. I love what Paul writes about in Romans 6 about baptism. Baptism is that place where we identify ourselves with Jesus in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. When we're lowered into the water, die in our own selves, and come out of the water and rise again in him. And through our identification with him in his death, his burial, and resurrection. And at the moment we commit to walking with him. Some of you guys need to take that step. You need to take that step to experience the fullness of who he is, to truly identify yourselves in him rather than yourself. It's time. It's time. What decision do you need to make? Like I said, no matter how long we've been Christians or whether we even made that commitment yet or not, we all have a decision to make. Some way that we need to take a step closer to him. Whether we need to believe or confess or, do, or take a stronger step in repentance or we need to finally take the step and be baptized, what's that step for you? If you're online, there's people who can talk to you and connect you with the right people and help guide you and, and, and answer your questions. For those in the house, our elders will be um, at Engage Impact at the conclusion of the service. But don't leave today without taking the step. Don't leave today without figuring out what step, what decision you need to make. Paul writes in Ephesians 2.19 that consequently you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Did you catch that? When we give our lives to Jesus, when we fully engage him, we become citizens of his kingdom. And as citizens, we become heirs, which means we begin to experience all that he has to provide and the life that he wants to give to you as his masterpiece. And it's not like one day when you get there, through the seal of his Holy Spirit, you get to start experiencing that now. Now. For what life will soon bring you eternally, internally, eternity, in eternity. So what decision do you need to make? Who's winning the tug-of-war battle in your life? You are his divine poetry. He wants to write your story. Identify what that step is, and let's take the step together. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you because you are good. And Father, in this moment, I just pray that you help us to experience you. Lord, we're all at different places in, in the journey. But Lord, no matter what spot we're in, we have a next step. And Lord, in this moment, in our relationship with you, Help us to see what that step is and motivate us to take it, that we may experience you in a whole new way. And Lord, I praise you because you gave us the gift of grace. And through that, we have the opportunity of life, not just now, but for all eternity. And may you receive all the glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen.